You've fallen down the rock and roll rabbit hole. All right, welcome back. We're here again. Again. We're going to go down the rock and roll rabbit hole with you. I'm Kevin Gibson. And I'm Butch Bays. And we are going to take you down the road of a song tonight, as we always do. We pick one song per episode, and we go down, down, down the rabbit hole. Tonight we're going to talk about Me and Bobby McGee. The song written by Chris Christopherson. Yep, made famous by one Janis Joplin. And so we're going to dig into this song and basically try to answer the question, whose song is it really? <laughs> you know, who owns it now? Chris birthed the song. Yeah, but she sort of adopted it. Janice adopted that's a, that's it. That's a great analogy well, off, on the fly there. <laughs> right on the fly. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to start with the opening ceremonies. We don't have any cans, so we're going to do it this way. Yeah, that's not well, nearly as dramatic. It's not as good. We we usually uh, start with a crisp snap of a uh, of a beer can opening, but uh, this time it's going to be a growler from Floyd County Brewing Company in New Albany, Indiana. And what's the name of the right beer? Right across the bridge. The beer is called Monopoly. 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 I like it. It's sort like of it hard to say, but you know. <laughs> I like it a lot. Yeah. Any well, I, anytime I hops are involved, we're usually excited. I haven't so. tasted it, but I, I like the name. Floyd County Brewing is a pretty fine establishment uh, right on the Ohio River. Um, they are not sponsoring us. They are not sponsoring us. They are but getting no money from this <laughs> endorsement. We just like them. Good people and good uh, good music space. So good beer and good food. To the rock and roll Cheers. rabbit hole. Rock and roll rabbit hole. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Now we're nice. on to the tail of the tape. Now we're ready. <laughs> I had to grab my glasses. Okay. So we're going with me and Bobby McGee, tail of the tape. Uh, Janice. Oh, no, I got the wrong notes. Hang on. <laughs> we're I'm so going to make you ring the bell again. And uh, rock and roll Professional is not part of my deal. All right. The tail of the tape. Okay. Uh, me and Bobby McGee topped the U.S. singles chart in 1971. It made the song the second posthumously released number one single in U.S. chart history uh, after Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding was the other one. So I did not know that. Yeah. This, that was wild the, stuff. Yeah, it was only the second. Uh, number one in the USA and Australia, Down Under. They dug Janice. So uh, certified platinum and propelled the album Pearl to sell over four million copies. Dang. Uh, I own at least four of those four <laughs> millions. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, nominated for Best Female Vocal Performance. I assume she didn't win a Grammy because it would have said... Uh, Grammy, right. One, yeah. Which would be interesting to go back and look what did win. And the winner is Carol King for Tapestry. I would like to know that, yeah. yeah. Sorry we didn't do all of I our research. I should have done that on the here. research. Janice was inducted posthumously into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1995. I'm just going to say Janice was inducted into the Rock yeah. and Roll Hall of Fame in 1995. The, the song came out after she died. It was pretty much yeah, given. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Rolling Stone put her number 46 on the greatest artist of all time, which I'm going to say seems to be extremely low, but I don't know what their criteria are. Right, but uh, how many, I mean, how many albums does she have? Well, she's got at least three, and she was fantastic, and um, quite a force, and an early kind of like female pioneer as far as well, fronting a band. Very true, yeah. You know, they, very a lot true. of times they call her the first female rock star. 
You know, I look at maybe Tina Turner. Uh, you know, Aretha was definitely more in the soul yeah, category. Yeah, definitely R&B soul. But like when you just think about just like your straight up definition of a rock star, maybe somebody that's got the the, the persona, the lifestyle. Yeah, she the was presence. sort of a sort of a more talented uh, Jim Morrison kind of thing. <laughs> I think that's probably true. Jim was <laughs> talented in his own right, but yeah. but Janice was a true vocal stylist. I mean, yeah. an amazing performer steeped in the blues and just brought it out. Yeah. And, and you know what the fusion that she had there in, in uh, with San Francisco musicians brought out this, you know, amazing rock monster. So, yeah. all right. Anyway, so that's the tale a little, of the tape. A little background on Chris versus Janice. Chris with a K. And, and yeah. You, Chris with a K. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of, you know, just talk a little bit about, how Chris got to writing the song, and which I think right. is a fascinating story that that what he was doing at the time. And Chris is an interesting character. He splashed onto the Nashville scene, and he mm-hmm. he was writing uh, lyrics that were a little maybe a little deeper, mm-hmm. uh, lyrics that were a little more risque in some uh, cases, like uh, "Help me make it through the night." Starts yeah. out with "Take the ribbon from your hair," you know that sort yeah. of. It, it kind of like uh, re- ruffled some feathers in Nashville originally, but he's an interesting. Well, the guy. institution, you know, they, they don't like the outsiders coming in, but a guy that talented. Yeah, they couldn't turn him down. Yeah. They couldn't turn him down. I I, I do want to digress a little bit and tell one story Here about how Chris was <laughs> taken. Well, it is the rabbit hole after all. But anyway, uh, Chris uh, auditioned for Fred Foster of. Uh, Monument Records and uh, the Combine Music Publishing is, is was his publishing company. And the way Fred auditioned people said, play me four songs. And so Chris was there nervous, you know, and Fred's quote is, any lucky, you know, idiot can come on to one song, write one good one, but nobody can, you know, you can't write yeah. four unless you're really a writer. And so he said, play four songs. And Chris started playing four songs to him. And he started to think he was hallucinating or sick or he, he said, like, either this is the biggest genius that's ever walked in my office or I'm not feeling well. <laughs> or tonight. I've got the flu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But anyway, so he, of course, took Chris on and uh, they formed a pretty interesting partnership. But come to the time, would you want me to tell the story when, uh, yeah, how Bobby McGee came to be? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yes, yes, that's. But anyway, there was a secretary in the same building of Fred Foster's building. It was like one floor down, as I understand it. Uh, one of his fellow record executive guys had a uh, uh, a secretary named Bobby McKee. Actually, her full name was Barbara McKee. So it fr- could have been Barbie McKee. Barbie. Oh, yeah. You, the history would be changed. Like you just a like, lot. Yeah. it's like the Back to the Future. All these things changed. But anyway... Um, uh, he would go to, to that office quite often as a matter of business, but then he started showing up a little more. Fred started showing up a little more than, you know, maybe was warranted. And uh, whoever Bobby McKee worked for, I can't, I don't know the guy's name right now. It was a very, uh, you know, odd name. That would be Boodlow Bryant. But anyway, he said that, he goes, I don't think you're coming down to see me. You're coming to see Bobby McKee. And he goes, Bobby? He goes, well, Barbara, Bobby McKee. And so he was like, Oh, haven't you heard about me and Bobby McKee, he says. And like he said, the the hair yeah. started to stand up on the back of his neck. He realized that's a song title. Yes, he, it is. It, what a singable phrase. Somehow it just really works. And I guess a guy like that's tuned in to yeah. 
hearing that sort of thing. And he scurried back up to his office and called Chris. Now, Chris was a helicopter pilot, and he was flying crews out to the uh, Gulf, to uh, oil platforms on the Gulf of Mexico. And so Fred calls Chris and says, "I I got a song title for you. He goes, I want a song called Me and Bobby McKee. And the story is that these two people that travel together and you hold it as long as you can, then you reveal Bobby as a girl at the end. But Chris misheard him and thought he said McGee. Bobby McGee. Yep. <laughs> so. What an interesting twist of fate that, you know. <laughs> but And the thing is, what I, what I thought of when I read about this story was, it's one of those things where if, he, if it, they had stuck with McKee, it still, in, in the course of singing, it would have probably sounded like McGee. I think that's true. Yeah. You know? Because when you're singing and you're hitting those hard consonants, yeah. it would sound, you know. McGee just <laughs> seems like the fateful, you know, the fateful name that had to be there. But right. I guess if Chris misheard it on the telephone, it probably would have been misheard on radios across the nation. Yeah, right? exactly. So. Exactly. But anyway, so he sort of hid from Fred for a while kind of worked on the song and while he was in baton rouge he was literally you know broke so he's busted flat in baton rouge and it was raining and like all these lines sort of sort of flooding to him you know busted flat in baton rouge waiting for the train uh feeling nearly faded as my jeans the the feeling nearly faded as my jeans line i think is what a fantastic line so american and and the song is so full of fantastic lines it is. I mean, it's just one after another, which is, you know, we'll get we'll get more into that where we're going with this in a bit. But Well, Chris was into William Shakespeare, mm-hmm. uh, William Blake, and... Um, well, this was a Rhodes Scholar. I mean, this is a true. guy who... who and Hank Williams. <laughs> right. And, and he was also cultured. So, <laughs> yeah. In the right way. So, you know, everything was going according to his family's plan for Chris to... Uh, Go, go to England, study at Oxford, um, and then become a military officer. But he decided to take a left turn and become a kind of music bum in Nashville. Yeah. And uh, it really bummed his outlaw. family. An outlaw. <laughs> That's for sure. But his... Um, to the bone. There's a funny story that's related to that I thought was really good about Chris. And I will, we'll get to Janice Oh, yeah, we as will. well. We but anyway, uh, this is how Chris met uh, Johnny Cash the first time. Uh, he had gotten a letter from his mother that said, you know, you had this Rhodes Scholarship. You were destined to be, a, you know, a military officer. And now you've thrown it all away to be a music bum. And, <laughs> music bum. Yeah. And basically, Love it. you are disowned. Wish I'd done that. <laughs> really? So he was just like shunned. He was disowned by the family. They I didn't said, know he was shunned. They said, don't ever darken our door again. Dang. According to the reports of this letter. Is this, was, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, go. Jeez, oh, I didn't know that part of the story. <laughs> yeah, he got, I, this is so funny to me, but he was rejected by his family in writing by his mother. And, and so uh, Cowboy Jack Clement was in the in the same publishing company as him and loved the letter so much that he showed it to Johnny Cash. And so the first time Chris got a job there, at this was actually at Columbia Records. He was sweeping up and cleaning up ashtrays. And he met Johnny Cash for the first time, and Johnny had seen the letter. And he says, always good to get a letter from home, huh, Chris, is the first 
you know, Lion Johnny wow. Cash gives him, which I think is this classic. So wow. there you go. That's, yeah. yeah. No, that's rabbit hole stuff. <laughs> Very that's much so. rabbit hole stuff. <laughs> All right. So you want to shift over to Janice now? We need to do some Janice real Let's quick. Let's do some Janice. I'm going to look here. It's in a shorter story. Well, Janice came from Port Arthur, Texas. She was, by all accounts, um, an outcast. Had you heard that? Well, I mean, you can look at her and tell that. But yeah, I've always heard that. Very much so in Port Arthur, like she was rejected. She stood up for kind of integration of the schools and stuff. Oh, how like, dare you she? Know, yeah, yeah, in social studies. But she, in the time, in the, in the 60s, yeah, I mean... That was a that was a tough stance to take. It was tough, probably especially yeah. there. Yeah. She stood up yeah. in her social it's studies class. It's still tough to take there. <laughs> yes. Let's not get political. Sorry. Well, maybe. She stood up in her social studies class and said that she thought segregation was wrong, and they threw coins at her and stuff. And her siblings that are still living say that you know it just kept getting worse for her. Yeah. And uh, so she tried to go to San Francisco, and she went a few different times, and she found a home there. Uh, of all places, Hate Ashbury with with the Grateful Dead. Uh, she supposedly was dating Pigpen. No, my God. <laughs> from the Grateful Dead, which I mean, shocker. What a selling point. <laughs> I go by Pigpen. <laughs> but anyway, I think she found acceptance there and she blossomed sure. A there. A lot of people did back then. You know, the people like her, those pre liberals and the, the artists and. Well, absolutely. I mean, that was the where it was all happening, though. She just happened to. You know, splash into the center of where uh, the counterculture and... Yeah. And what year did you go there? Was it uh, like 67, 66? Because okay. she, she played uh, Monterey Pop Festival in 67 mm-hmm. with Big Brother and the Holding Company. And that was her big break. I think she had told her right. parents that she was going to Austin for the weekend and she ended up going <laughs> to San Francisco. That's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. a true rebel. I love yes. it. But anyway, she her first band was Big Brother and the Holding Company, uh, which I think was really her family in San Francisco. And uh, mm-hmm. they kind of kept her a little bit contained just a bit as far as like uh, kind of bad habits and whatnot. Uh, the bass player, Peter, was the leader of the band and he was sort of the dad of the band. He didn't do drugs or drink. Sounds and, familiar. And he wouldn't kind of let them do that, right? <laughs> so... But anyway, so, you know, I think that was a good place for her, and I sort of wish she would have stayed with them. Right. But the first album she came out with was Cheap Thrills with Big Brother mm-hmm. and the Holding Company. But anyway, we skipped way ahead. Uh, she, uh, after Monterey, she picks up uh, Bob Dylan's manager, who tells her about the song Me and Bobby McGee. Uh, nobody knew who or Chris McKee. was. Bobby McKee. (laughs) But anyway, nobody knew who Chris was at this point. Uh, It was just a really good song that was kind of going around. And so he taught it to her best he could. And so some of the words are changed in her version from the Chris version. Oh, of course, it also flips the genders. Right, changes the genders. So Janice goes through three... Uh, different bands. She starts out mm-hmm. with Big Brother, then she goes with what was called the Cosmic Blues Band, and then she ended up with the Full Tilt Boogie Band. <laughs> and and with Full Tilt Boogie, she toured. She played Great Albert Hall and had people dancing in Sounds the like aisles. Sounds like a ZZ Top song, but yeah, <laughs> right. But um, 
she played really high profile stuff like Ed Sullivan and stuff with or uh, who was the other show Dick Cavett show oh yeah Dick Cavett. with Full Tilt Boogie but anyway they they commenced to record the uh, album Pearl where they recorded the song uh, Me and Bobby McGee now Chris had met Janice and they mm-hmm. apparently spent about a month together at Janice's place and uh, but he didn't know she recorded the song they had like sort of a romantic thing and then sort of like a brother sister thing okay sort of a sort of a friends of benefits fling (laughs) yeah from what i read yeah Yeah, but it was the late 60s so you know right (laughs) pretty common (laughs) but anyway so they record the song me and bobby mcgee and then janice is found dead on october 4th 1970 in a hotel room um let me see and the cause of death was heroin overdose compounded by alcohol um I think she was away from a lot of her friends that kind of kept her, kept you know, her centered. Kept yeah. her centered. Yeah. Now she had, she had played Woodstock, had a really great set at Woodstock. Um, she went to decompress at Carnival in Brazil after Woodstock, but she apparently had cleaned up somewhat off of heroin, and then maybe she just had just had a moment of weakness and just one more time, mm. you know, with nobody nobody around to help her out and she uh you know unfortunately joined the 27 club which is a whole other thing, yeah you know. yeah we didn't do a show on that one day so one thing i didn't know she died within 16 days of Jimi hendrix died 16 days later and oh people, interesting people said it was like they died simultaneously yeah well sure two of the big titans of the 60s you know and and, and way 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 too young Way, way too young. Yeah, it's different than Tom Petty dying today. That's that's bad enough. But right, just sad, sad. They said uh, the deaths of Janice and Jimmy were gigantic shocks to all rock music fans, and uh, you know they were among rock music's most dynamic and creative figures. And uh, you know, sad, yeah. sad. But anyway, let's go to the song itself. Me and Bobby McGee. Hey. What are your observations? Well, my I listened to several. Uh, I, I, what I did was I focused on there. Okay, there were a lot of there have been a lot of versions of this song, a lot Correct. of covers. Let's, right. Let's go through that list just for fun. Okay. Yeah. Right okay, now. The list. This list is not chronological. It was just sort of as yeah, I kind let's, of let's like just, uh, found them. And and I only studied a few of these, but and this uh, is probably a partial list. But let's go through some of this here. Go ahead and start us off. Yeah. Covered by a wide variety of artists, including, including cover, the cover we're talking about tonight. Janis Joplin. Pink. Grateful Dead. Roger Miller. Anne Murray. Man on the Scory. <laughs> Gordon, that was my style. Gordon Lightfoot. Jerry Lee Lewis. The Killer. Laura Branigan. Kenny Rogers. Charlie Pride. Blind Melon. Willie and Waylon separately. As in Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. <laughs> John R. Cash. Uh, maybe you know him as Johnny Cash. Yes. yes. Uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> I did say a variety. <laughs> okay, that one threw me off. I did not see that coming. I didn't know she was a recording I knew artist. The, I knew Pink covered it. I knew, wow. I was going to throw Jennifer, Patrick Swayze in there, but I don't think you Jennifer covered it. Jennifer Love Hewitt is really, really pretty, but I don't really want to hear her sing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you do. Don't don't judge it. Maybe too. I'll go look it up on YouTube tomorrow yeah, yeah. in a moment of, of uh, boredom. Oh, man. But maybe I but won't. But Janice is recording... Chris said it was the biggest shot of fame he ever had. Like it changed sure, everything for him. Absolutely, yeah. it did. And and here's the thing: what? So Roger Miller was the first one to cover it, correct? Right. Yeah, that's such an so, odd. Yeah. So, but, but I, it was in the country world. So, and, yeah. and probably most people don't even know that that existed, or have, or maybe knew and didn't haven't heard it. Right. But 
you've got the Chris Christopherson sort of straight, sort of folky, sort of country version. Right. Yeah, it is. It is. Sort of country. I would say mostly folk music. More folky, yeah. 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 But Roger Miller basically, from what I heard, it was faithful to Chris's version, but with a little bit of a... A little bit of a honky tonk sing along. There were more vocals in it. Right. Did you notice that? It was like I, I didn't listen enough to. I only heard a portion of that version. So okay. now I'm interested. I listened. <laughs> I listened to it today and and, uh-huh. and took notes and Good. it really was sort of a. He adhered to what Chris had written and and done and recorded as the demo. Right. And and it sort of ended there, you know. And it sort of and he had extra vocals. It seemed like to me. Uh, you know, sort of make it more of a honky tonk drinking song. They give it sort of the Nashville treatment a little yeah. bit, yeah. Which yeah. is what he should have done. Which is sure. what his producer told him to do. I'm sure, sure. sure. I'm sure. Well, yeah. then you had uh, Gordon Lightfoot, a great folk singer from Canada. Yep, like somebody that Dylan and a lot of people really looked up to. That wrote most of his own music. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah. But heard this song. Yep. And said, I'm going to cover a version of this, probably to jump on the bandwagon because it was so big. It, it was, was around big. the time it came out, I think. Everybody was excited about it. When yeah. It first, yeah. But he basically wrote a by-the-numbers copy of Chris's oh, did he? Okay. version of it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, and, and again, I, I love Chris's version of it. I, I had heard it many times, and I hadn't heard it in years. So I went back and listened to it this week. And was like, you know, that's a solid sounding recording of this song. Yep. And and so I think that Gordon Lightfoot was just like, I'm just going to hop on that. I'm going to jump on his back and <laughs> and try to capture an audience. That well, uh, might Chris like is that not version. really known as a great singer. He's no, sort of exactly. a communicator, not a great singer. Exactly. Yeah. But Gordon's a pretty good singer. And then <laughs> so that was good. another one yeah. from the era. Yeah. Was uh, the Statler Brothers? Wow. Recorded a version of it. So the Statler Brothers, to those who may not know, is sort of like a barbershop quartet-ish kind of... Turned country, yeah. Oak Ridge Boys-ish kind <laughs> right, of Right, I always yeah. put them together with the Oak Ridge Boys. Yeah. And, good, and they've been good, around... wholesome entertainment. Been around yeah. forever, yeah. Right, and, and they right. seem like good guys, whatever. They do, but, they did, yes. But it was literally, again, another sort of by-the-numbers take, but with lots of vocals and lots of harmonies. Right. It was exactly, if someone said, have you ever heard the Statler Brothers cover... Me and Bobby McGee, and if you said no, you'd say here's here's their version, and it's exactly what you think the Statler Brothers would record. <laughs> so and you- it was exactly <laughs> the the arrangement was not changed at all. Right. It was the you know, it was pretty subdued early on. Right. Exactly. The song was and it's the thing. And, and Chris's version was subdued. So that's what the point I'm getting to is that these quote unquote artists just took the song at face value. And said, so we're going to record this because that's what we do because we're in Nashville. Right. We've been given this demo. We're just going to record it as it is with our own voices and our own, you know, studio musicians. And there's a hot new writer. And right, then yeah. there was Janis Joplin. Right. And that's a whole different thing. And and, and I've, I've broken some of this down into, I want to hear okay. your thoughts before I go back and go into this, why I think it was different. Oh, why you want I me to succeeded. go now and tell you what I think about Janice's version? Or, yeah. Okay, it was recorded, then, I guess, in 69 or early 70. Yeah, uh, yeah that's what I read. But anyway, Janice um, was known for more like a blue, big blues right. style, you know, really, really bombastic, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just 
big rock songs and very bluesy songs. Well, and, and her her influences are mostly blues. I mean, that's, right. And, and Otis and, Redding, she loved Otis Redding. Yep. Some of the early blues singers. Yes. Uh, you know. Lead Belly. Lead Belly, yes. Lead Belly, Big Mama Thornton. Yep. Uh, Bessie Smith. Bessie Smith, Odetta. You can really Billie hear Billie Holiday, it. of course, was, was a fantastic vote. I love Billie Holiday. You know, now that you mention Billie Holiday, I hear as much Billie Holiday in her as anybody, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So, so and later, yeah. she was sort of contemporaries with Tina Turner, but right. look at, look at their, their body of work at that time, you know, and when we mentioned, uh, or I think we maybe have mentioned uh, Proud Mary earlier, maybe that was off the air. That but, was off the air, yeah. But... <laughs> You know, she took that CCR song and turned it into something different, and then right. sort of she sort of half owns that, and that plays into the point we're making here, is that she came into the song, you know, and and, and brought those influences to to the vocal performance. One hundred percent. I mean, her version. Um, she had a folk, a bit of a folk background in Texas, where she started playing some folk uh, gigs at like Thread Gills and some places like that. So she had a folk background and then but she also had this blues side of her but she sort of i think in a way on me and bobby mcgee sort of shifts back to that that folky style somewhat but with the extreme soul gear in it and uh, the way she delivers the lines man just from the start busted flat and baton rouge and all that it's just uh blows my mind i love the lyrics of this yeah. song i mean it's just so good but she right she owned it. She owned it. She, she interpreted right. she it. She made it 100% her song um, in terms of the dynamics of the song. There, there were there no dynamics go. in the song until she got her hands I'm on gonna it and sucked her fingers into none. it. I'm going to say none. None. No, exactly. And it was still, the lyric and the melody are fantastic. I mean, yeah. I listen to it now. I could listen to a, a bad karaoke version in a bar and probably think, this is a pretty good song, <laughs> you know. It is. It was. It was. All the bones were there. All the bones were yeah. there. All the structure was ready to go, but she breathed life to it. She breathed life. To and it. so, part of the song that, that the the outro, the, the right. kind of the la da 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 that yeah. that thing that was right. that was in in every other version I've heard. That's when you know the song's over. It's trailing off. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Right. And that's how it was written. That's how Chris wrote it. Yeah, just sort of a, a, a hum out. Yeah, like the road so, goes on. Yeah, yeah and it, it fades out, and that's the end. But right. that's, in, in her version, that's when it starts to get weird and crazy. Oh, and she goes okay. back into another verse that you can barely interpret because she's singing so loudly and crazy. If you think about that version of hers, yeah, she goes into the and her she makes hers the na 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 na, you know. That oh man, it's super just, dynamic. It's amazing. And yeah. then she goes back into a, like a verse that is just almost screamed. And right, so right. instead of the song going down, the song is going up. And yeah. then they finally the end of it. They finally it's like to just cut it off and just throw a chord in there to to end it. It becomes an improvisation. She's probably still singing that. It becomes an improvisation, much like a sort of a guitar player. Somebody would take it. Totally. It's un. I mean, that energy is just. It builds to this ferocious sort of crescendo, and then they almost had to like pull her back from it. You know what I mean? That's what that's what it sounded like to me. The way because it was an unnatural fade out. Because she was still going. She owned it. She owned it. (laughs) She. Oh my goodness, did she own it? But like the. The way she sang it, you know, one of the things that I always was 
even as a kid, you know, that was a that was a song that was always on AM radio. It was baked into the cake when we were kids. Yeah. And I remember you probably do too. Get up, get ready for school. You're eating your cereal. You get dressed and you got AM radio crackling in the background. My parents had this little blue radio, you know, that was a single speaker. It had a clock in it. Yes. You know, in, in our little sitting room. And I was sitting there eating my cereal and listening to and, and that song was just on so much. You know, and I was six, seven years old. It's interesting to me that people spend so much on stereo gear, but you can bond with music over a little AM we clock did. radio. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We're old, but we did, you know. And But one of the things that got me so much was that her, she didn't say Bobby McGee. She said Bobby McGee. Uh, Bobby right. McGee. Uh. <laughs> yeah. That made it so interesting to me. It was like, what? what's this person's name actually? Oh, you, is it, you, how is this spelled? You know, Magia? What's that? I mean, I, you know, I was a kid. And so later when I learned the name of the song, I was like, oh, so that's just the way she's singing it. You know, if you think about like, how, how am I going to put this? There's there's something that, that she added to that song that gave it life that it never, ever would have had if she had never sang it. We would not be talking about this song, I don't think, mm-hmm. in this context now we might know it as this this minor top fifty hit from nineteen seventy one or whatever, right? But it would be one of those just sort of oh, that's one a, of the other hits. That's a pretty good song. Instead of a a singular recording, that's a pretty good song. She yeah. electrified it. She just exactly. electrified it. She electrified it, and and that's I mean, to me, and and I was not like, I was never like a big follower of Janis Joplin. I just was like, I just accepted her for what she was. I heard her music. I was like, wow, that's, yeah, that's Janis Joplin. You know, and that song, I just always thought was a really cool story. in one of those early 70s story songs. Right. Like the, you know, the, what's his name? Jumping off the Tallahassee Bridge. You know, you know it was like sort of, to me, I always put it kind of in, in that uh, vein. But just, I don't know. It's like the, it's taking the last week or so to study it. And sort of, you know, really break out her vocal performance as the, the defining factor. Well, I did copy down a quote. Uh, she once said, I started singing rhythmically. Ah. Oh. And now I'm learning from Otis Redding to push a song, push a song, instead of just sliding over it. She went to a gig of Otis Redding. I think she was on acid, just as a side she note. But she went to see Otis Redding at the Fillmore West. And and I think it it just yeah. expanded her mind into to like yep. how how things could be. Otis impressed so many people like that, you know. It's ironic that they share that the posthumous uh, number one hits, you know. Yeah, somehow it is very it's ironic. kind of like a bond they have. But but it it's like she sang a, a melody within the song's melody. Uh, yeah, you know, she created a whole different part of the song that was never intended to be there you know this is very interesting to me because i'm kind of uh uh, i'm very into the Jimi hendrix janice joplin doors kind of wing you're sort of more of a beatles person Mm -hmm. i kind of wanted to see what you would think of this song if you could you know how much you could get interested in it uh because to me it's just a monument of of like where a, a you know an unbelievable song meets meets an unbelievable interpreter well, the, right the know. vocal innovation that was 
dropped into this already really good folk song. Exactly. Turned well, it into to a giant of a, a monster. I think you kind of said it all, though. It was a folk song, and it became a folk rock song, mm-hmm. and maybe even more of a rock song. Um, because of a blues delivery. Blues delivery. Which is what rock and roll is all about. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> blues had a baby, and they call it rock and roll is what mm-hmm. Muddy Waters says. And, and country is involved in that, too. I think... Uh, very much so. There may be even threesome. So. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> you can cut that out if you want. You can cut that out. I'm, de- I'm definitely going to do some work <laughs> on that. But uh, when we were kids listening to those AM clock radios and Bobby McGee came on, we didn't know who Chris uh, Chris no. Christopherson was from Adam. No. We just knew that this Janis Joplin character was on fire for this song. Yep. So I didn't doubt that this was not maybe something that really happened to Janis. You know, it just sounds it's so much like a convincing, uh, you know, recounting of, of an, a trip that she took with another, you know, sure. with and a guy. I didn't yeah. find out until many, many years later that she'd already passed away. I didn't know. I oh, was a, yeah. Well, I was a kid. I was, you know, I was interested yeah. in comic books. <laughs> there you, you know, go. in football. I mean, I, that's yeah. very sad. I, it, I always kind of, I can't help but speculate what she would have done, the height she would have reached, um, kind of what she would be like as an old lady, you yeah. know? Like Buddy uh, Holly. Like Buddy Holly. Always, what, Cut what too would, short. What would Buddy Holly have done? We'll, we'll probably revisit one of his songs on another show, but... Definitely we will. But uh, Sue, maybe. But yeah. I'm so happy that this song exists. Um, I'm happy that, you know... I mean, Chris is just an incredible writer. If you don't know Chris's catalog, yeah. you might delve into that a little bit. And He's, you'll be surprised by... He's unbelievable. So many things he's writer. written. Yeah, we could. Yeah, we don't have that list in front of us, but uh, it's long. <laughs> we should have had the list. We should have had the. We could, <laughs> Whose yeah, job we, was that? It was probably mine. <laughs> <laughs> Where's our intern? We need. <laughs> Can we read again? Who's covered we the song? We don't, we don't have a budget for the intern. Yeah. No, we do not. But anyway, we're it's, getting there. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll make that someday. But uh, I was so impressed with the writing of this song and I've gotten so into Chris. I went to see him when he was 75 years old playing a stage. That was in, like 25 years ago. Yeah. Well, <laughs> how old is he now? I don't, even, I don't know. even know. Is he in his eighties now? Again, we don't have an intern. We should know I that. I think he was 75 when I saw him. He played Shipshawana, Indiana. Nice. And, uh, I remember and, you telling uh, me about that. Still looks good. Looks better than I do. And I'm, uh, you so know. So he's not just looking like spare parts at this point? Not a, not, <laughs> not from a distance, at least. He's a good looking man. But uh, performed these songs great and took, you know, he's kind of taking a victory lap, I think, in a way. Yeah. Good but for I him, was, man. Yeah. But this song, to me, I feel like it's the, the, a perfectly written song. Perfect choruses. Uh, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Yeah, and that was I mean, that was part of his sheesh. his kind of reconciling himself with well, I'm free from all the things that my parents wanted me to be, and I and now I'm broke right. down south, and I got you know well, I got my freedom quote unquote, but now what am I going to do? It was a sort of unromantic notion of freedom was, in a way. But what a beautiful line! I mean, what a beautiful line! Everyone knows that line. Yeah, I think everybody can kind of like paint their own life in some kind of version of this. Everybody's yeah. had some kind of road trip. Yes, 100%. You know? So in conclusion, well, I mean, what do you think? Uh, where does this song stand in the history of rock rock tunes? I mean, I, it's in my top 10. I think it hovers in the top three or four. You know, I mean, uh, it's uh, probably my number one song if I had to. I can't I wait till we get like 20 or 25 uh, episodes in and you've got like, like, 
20 songs in your top 10. Um, I'll have probably six to eight top number ones. So, but, but this, no, I, yeah. I think it's, it's, it is a, is a, an interesting turning point for uh, females in rock and roll. That's what I will say. A Very huge, much so. huge Very turning much point. So. And I don't think I, you, you don't think of Janice so much in that term as like what a great female singer. You just think that's a great singer. Well, that's exactly that's a butt what, kicker. That's exactly know? why. Yeah, that's you've just made your own point there. It's 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 exactly why because you don't say oh that's a really good vocalist for a girl. Right. No, that's that vocal performance was that changed everything. That yeah, changed what people could actually do. She really laid some groundwork for some expanded parameters. And I think a lot of a lot of musicians these days would look back to Janice as their inspiration for why they wanted to do it. Well, and what's funny is I had the thought, you, you know, look at someone like later in like in the 80s, Edie Brickell. Right. Some of the weird stuff she was doing. She reminds me so much vocals. of a Janice. She They're, does, exactly. Because she didn't give two craps about the way she sang her songs. And it annoyed the hell out of me when I was a teenager. I really wasn't a fan. But now, as an older person, I go back and hear those songs. I'm like, that was really sort of interesting and innovative. <laughs> you know, I was just being a snotty teenager. Well, you know, going back to Janice, I think she bared her soul on tape. Yeah. Like, and sometimes oh, it's yeah. uncomfortable to hear. Yeah. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to hear. It's so personal. I bared my soul in counseling. <laughs> Luckily, that was not taped. <laughs> Feel free to air anything you want on this broadcast because it, it can well, only you help. Said in, you said in conclusion, you can cut all this out if you want. Well, uh, I think <laughs> last time we concluded and had 20 minutes after the oh, conclusion. That's right. Well, so well, we should probably conclude. We probably um, should. We hope that you've enjoyed this edition of Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, and we hope that we will be back for more. We truly appreciate you spending some time with, you know, I know we delve into some nonsense. and All some two of you. And hopefully there's some <laughs> sense in it. But, uh, yeah, we hope to build this hopefully thing. Hopefully there's some dollars and cents in it. Well, yeah, <laughs> there you go. That would be Sorry, the best. Sorry, I'll shut up now. But we... Close us out. We hope to talk about many, many... Uh, songs. Our your, favorite songs, your favorite songs. Our favorites, your favorites. Uh, we want to reawaken kind of like the you know the the songs that 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 have been part of all of our lives. Um, they're very important, you know, to me yeah. and to Kevin and and, I, and to everybody. And yeah. so we've well, let's just throw a couple teasers. We've talked about maybe a Kiss song. Yep. Maybe Walter Egan. Walter Egan might make an appearance on this show. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, uh, look him up if you don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> right. Um, you know, any others you can maybe tease as a possible well, forthcoming um, episode? Let me think of what we had kind of on the short list. Uh, you can cut this out if you want to. I'm cutting all this out because because <laughs> I'm when I draw a blank, the, the one thing you can be assured of since I edit these is that I'm cutting out where I drew a blank. <laughs> all right, then. We'll see you next time on the Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole. Cheers, Butch. Say goodnight, Kevin. Good night, Kevin. <laughs> that would be Budlow Bryant.